The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Hi, my name is Heather Williams, and I'm from Southern Indiana. This podcast is entirely listener-supported, and you can become an executive producer by clicking on the support tab at historygoesbump.com. So sit back and enjoy the show. the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spooktacular people welcome to this 247th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is denise on today's episode we are bringing you western carolina university this was suggested to us by our listener sarah hollingsworth and she's going to be joining us in just a moment before we get into talking about the history and hauntings of that university, we'd like to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Katie with an IE. Hey, Katie with an IE. Leah. Hey, Leah. Donna. Hi, Donna. Rebecca. Hi, Rebecca. Kristen with an IN. Hi, Kristen with an IN. Dana. Hi, Dana. Mary. Hey, Mary. Sarah with an H. Hello, Sarah with an H. Marie France. Hello, Marie France. And Melinda. Hi, Melinda. Wow, we are a little female heavy in the Spooktacular <laughs> crew this week. <laughs> Girls just want to have fun. I guess so. And now, this moment, Naughty. Li Xiexin was a Chinese pharmacologist living in 16th century China. He wrote a book titled Compendium of Materia Medica, which was a medical tome about traditional Chinese medicine. In this book, he wrote various accounts about something known today as mellified man. This was a mysterious practice in which a person of an older age would volunteer to be mummified in honey. The practice originated in Arabia and entailed saturating and embalming this volunteer with honey for the purpose of creating a mysterious all-healing confection. This process began while the person was still alive and continued in death. 
the volunteer would cease to eat regular food and subsist strictly on honey, even bathing in honey. It would take about a month for the person's urine, feces, and sweat to be mostly made up of honey, and eventually they would die. The corpse would be put inside of a special stone coffin that had been filled to the brim with honey. The stone was marked with the date of death and buried for 100 years. This would allow the corpse to become completely saturated and infused with honey. The body would be dug up, and the concoction found inside the coffin would be sold on the streets as a medicinal cure-all. Steeping a human cadaver in honey to make a healing substance certainly is odd. And now, This Month in History. In the month of March, on the 2nd, in 1933, the original King Kong movie premieres in New York City. King Kong was directed and produced by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodzak based on an idea that Cooper developed with Edgar Wallace. The screenplay was written by James Ashmore Creelman and Ruth Rose and starred Fay Ray, Bruce Cabot, and Robert Armstrong. The premiere was a huge success and the film received rave reviews. Spoilers here, and if you haven't seen the film, you need to rectify that. The story is set on Skull Island, where a filmmaker has brought a crew to make a movie. They soon find out about King Kong, a giant ape. A group of natives on the island kidnap the lead actress, Anne Darrow, and give her to Kong as a sacrifice. Lots of harrowing adventure ensues, culminating in King Kong being captured and brought to New York City to be put on display. He eventually escapes, scales the Empire State Building, and falls to his death. When the director who captured him sees his body on the ground, he remarks, It was Beauty who killed the Beast. The action parts in the film that featured King Kong were achieved with a revolutionary technique called stop-motion animation, which was pioneered by Willis O'Brien. The score for the film was orchestrated by Max Steiner and was considered groundbreaking. Although considered a monster movie, the Library of Congress deemed the film culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant in 1991 and selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry. We just want to apologize. The interview that you're going to hear, for some reason, we got some staticky interference in it. I don't know what happened. We tried to clean it up as best we could, but you will hear some crackling and snapping and popping. Didn't matter how many times we ran it through our editing software and ran it through some other editing software, we could not get rid of it. So we do apologize that the audio is not pristine on this episode. Western Carolina University is located in Cullowee, North Carolina. The small town is named for a legendary Cherokee warrior, and the area has a strong connection to this tribe. The university is the fifth oldest in the UNC system and was established in 1889. What started off as a high school grew to become a teaching school and then the university that it is today. As is the case with so many universities, it has seen its measure of death, some from tragic circumstances. This has left a spiritual residue in several of the buildings on campus. 
Our listener, Sarah Hollingsworth, is a former alum and tour guide for the school, and she joins us to share the history and hunting experiences, including some of her own, at Western Carolina University. She also shares several of the legends from the area. We are joined by our listener, Sarah Hollingsworth, and she suggested our location, Western Carolina University. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm great. How are you? We're doing fabulous. So one of the things we always like to ask our guests when they join us is what got you interested in the paranormal? Uh, well, my grandmother is actually kind of one of those people that's always been into like, the folk tales and would always tell stories. And so when my grandfather passed away, she would always tell stories of smelling his cigarette smoke when she would walk into their room, seeing things move slightly. And so it's just always been one of those things that I've been interested in because of all the stories that she would tell and all the stories that's involved in our family. Well, your grandmother sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, she's great. I would love to have a grandmother who would have told me some ghost stories. With my grandfather passing away, we, we've actually all had kind of weird experiences with that, even my mother and stuff like that. And she would tell me stories of Western Carolina because both she and my dad are also alumni. And they were there in the 80s, late 70s. So I'm just sitting here feeling old because that probably your parents are pretty close to my age. <laughs> So the university is located in North Carolina. What city is it in? It's in Cullowhee, North Carolina. I was going to um, let you say that. I was like, I'm not going to try to pronounce that. We, we always have people either calling it Cooley or some variation of that, but it's Cullowhee. See, I would have called it or Cullowhee. Because I wasn't okay. putting the W and the H together, so Chloe. Our, our little our little saying is because it rains all the time and we're WCU. It's we carry umbrellas and it's we like W H E E. How Chloe spelled? So, well, that's fun. Well, we've yeah. never heard of this city, so tell us a little bit about it. Is it just basically a university city, um, or so? It's a really really small town. According to the census in 2010, it literally, Cullowhee is 10 square miles. It's smaller so, than the Disney parks. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's basically just the university, but there is a little uh, neighborhood called Forest Hills that a couple locals stay in. But to like give a little vantage point, um, we actually have to drive to the next town over that's called Silva to like go to Walmart and go shopping and stuff like that. So it is <laughs> a little a, town. It's a very small town. And it's about an hour and a half southwest of Asheville okay. to kind of put it in a little perspective. It's like over in the corner of North Carolina. So it's probably pretty close to the Blue Ridge Mountains then. It's right smack dab in the middle of the Blue Ridge Mountains. So an absolutely gorgeous town. It, it's beautiful. Um, we actually have about eight miles of trails on campus. Ooh. We would always go hiking a lot. When you wrote your email to us, you let us know that this area, not only do we have, the university has some weird stuff going on there, but the whole area has some legends connected to it. Would you share okay. some of those with us? So the area was actually first settled by the Cherokee Native American tribe. From what I can find, it goes back as far as like 3000 B.C., there's been people in this area for like centuries. There's all these stories and the name was actually made from the Cherokee phrase Judicala. And Judicala was actually a warrior and a hunter. And there is something called the Judicala Rock that's actually a rock that's been there since the Cherokees settled the area. 
Kaluwe is in a valley. So there's all these mountains surrounding it, but we're in this little valley. And so everywhere else we'll actually get snow and then we usually don't. But every now and then we get a big heavy snow. But the Cherokee would come there during the winter to get away from all the snow that's on the peaks. And Judicala is actually a prominent person in their religion and their culture just because Judicala has the rock that's in the area. So the, the Judicala rock is actually like this big giant boulder that has all of these drawings that the experts of the area think goes back to 2000 BC. Wow. And it's a sacred site for the Cherokee tribe. Anyone can go visit it. I visited it a couple of times and there's all of these drawings on there that no one really knows what it means. They think it could be like a mining area. They think it could have been a place of worship. There's all these stories, but no one really knows what happened there because there's no history written down. And actually, a few years ago, it was tagged by some local hoodlum. The Historical Society did restore it back to its original state. Oh, good. But it's it's eroding away slowly but surely. But you can still see a lot of the engravings. And there's some pictures from way back when the, you could really, really see the engravings. And I can email you some pictures if you guys want them. Just a big rock in the middle of the mountains <laughs> that nobody really knows what it's there for. And now, um, so was Cullaway then originally a Cherokee village before it became a town? It was, actually. And my mom would actually tell, actually told me a story of when she was there. There was a Cherokee tribe elder that came and told some of the higher up people of the university that some of the dorms that actually have a lot of the spooky stuff happening all the time was actually built on a burial site. So the story is if those buildings get torn down and rebuilt on, there's going to be a whole lot of problems and they're going to have to bring in the tribal elders to make sure everything's okay and make sure we're not messing with stuff. (laughs) And they're actually planning to tear those buildings down and rebuild them within the next 10 years. So that should be fun. You'll have to walk around there with a little recorder and uh, EMF detector and see what happens. Yay, Diane. Let's just tell her, go tempt the spirits. (laughs) I guess if you're not really tempting them and just trying to see if anything's there, it's a little bit different. It's a scientific experiment. And one one of the, the burial sites was actually a parking lot. They put a parking lot on top of it against the elders suggestion and i don't think anything's happened in the parking lot but like sometimes lights do flicker out there because there is some trails out there and there's actually a tunnel that goes under the major highway that goes to the trails and a lot of the times those lights flicker so (laughs) (laughs) so have you been in the tunnels at night i did one time and then i never wanted to do it again it's also like a side of like people spray painting stuff because it's a college and like it's a tunnel. It's kind of a requirement for people to spray paint. Sure. On the walls. But I did go one time and the lights flickered and then I ran out to the other side because it also goes to a couple apartment complexes and my apartment was up in that area. So a mm-hmm. little too close for comfort. Oh yeah. I took I took the walking bridge after that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to laugh. One of the places that you mentioned that has some legends with it is this 
road that's called the road to nowhere. And the reason why is because we have a road. Our neighborhood is pretty new. It hasn't even been here 10 years yet. And there's a road that's supposed to eventually connect to another road. But when you get to the end of it, it's kind of cut off right now and it doesn't ha- it doesn't go forward yet. And they have right. all these little signs up, you know, that you can't go past and everything. And my folks, when they moved here, my mom started calling it the road to nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our road to nowhere is actually in Bryson City, which is about 30 minutes away from Cullowee. And that's even deeper into the little corner of the state. And that road was started in 1945. And the road would have gone directly through a burial site. So the Cherokee elders, along with the reservation that's near there, actually had the construction stopped. And so the road stops about a quarter mile past the tunnel that they built through a mountain. And it just never got finished. And it has all of these stories of like witchcraft and being haunted and there being wolves and all that kind of stuff. And it's really just pitch black in the middle of the woods. So there's going to be a lot of spooky stuff. It always fascinates me. It doesn't matter what state you're in. All of them seem to have this road. And Mm -hmm. it's a road that doesn't get used hardly anymore. And there's always these crazy legends that go with it, usually entails some kind of witchcraft or witches hanging out there, Mm -hmm. some other kind of monster coming along. So it just cracks me up that every state seems to have one. It's like, if nobody's been driving down this road for a few years, this is going to be our creepy road that we're going to make legends up about. It's actually a road that doesn't go anywhere but that tunnel. I think Mm -hmm. what they were trying to build to it was like a passage to... I think it was like a graveyard or something that they were trying to build too so people could go visit their family members. But it was going to drive directly through a burial site for the Cherokee Nation. And so everybody just kind of had it halted and it never got finished. So it's literally just a road through the middle of the woods (laughs) in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) The story that I've always heard, I don't know if it's true because they have poles up to where you can't drive through the tunnel anymore. But the story is, if you try to drive through the tunnel, your car battery would die in the middle of it. And so you couldn't get out. But once you push your car out of the tunnel, your car would be fine. Interesting. People who've gone in the tunnel have come back with their phone batteries dead and their flashlights dead. And they've gone in there with them fully charged and with fresh batteries in there and everything. And then there's stories of like people going in in there with like EMF detectors and everything. And then they with fresh batteries, they just put it in in the parking lot and they they'll be completely dead halfway into the tunnel. Now, where is this Paint Rock located? Paint Rock is in Hot Springs, North Carolina. And that's about an hour or so. It's considered North Carolina's best pictograph and it's estimated to be about 5,000 years old and it's kind of a landmark for the Cherokee Nation and for the settlers in the area. So it's just this beautiful side of a a mountain or cliff that just has these beautiful colors that aren't naturally occurring on it and no one really knows of why that's like that or if it's marking a trail that was there because it is near a river that would have been used. It's near the French Broad River. They think that maybe it was like a marker for the trail. Scientists actually like pulled some of the paints that was on it and it was created with local ingredients. So somebody put it there and somebody put, it was actually some of it was campfire soot that somebody just smeared on the side of it. And so it's there for a reason, just no one really knows why. (laughs) 
Well, that's fascinating because like you said, it either could be marking that this is where you stop to, I don't know, get some water or was it one of those things where everybody leaves their mark in a spot? I was here. Right. And it's actually, it's kind of high up off the ground. I can send you guys some pictures of that too. It's actually kind of really high up off the ground. So you'd either have to like climb up there and mark it or you'd have to like dangle off the side of it and mark it. Wow. Um, Yeah. That does make you wonder why. And there's like trees growing out of the side of this mountain. So it's been there for a while. And it look it it honestly looks like somebody piled rocks and they just kind of melded together. But it's a really, really big pile of rocks. <laughs> so it might just be erosion from the river. Mm-hmm. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Now, there's a siren that's connected to this? Oh, yeah. The siren of the French Broad River. She's a fun story. So she is actually located through the Appalachian Trail. She's more towards near Asheville, but the story is is that people that were traveling with the French Broad River would camp on the banks of the river and would just be looking out, and then they'd fall asleep, and men would be woken up before dawn by the sounds of a woman singing. But then the sound would go away when the light comes up with dawn, and then if they don't get past the river like they think they will by the time evening comes they pitch another campsite and the dreams will be of a dark-haired woman and they wake up to the sound of singing again but this time the voice will happen earlier in the evening so more towards like the witching hour kind of thing and they'll wake up and the sound will still be there so they'll go into the water kind of looking what it is and there's actually a story of a man that woke up in the river on some rocks and he doesn't remember how he got there. Mm, that, <laughs> that would be a would little be t- terrifying. Yeah, I was about to say that'd be really terrifying. The men will pack up again, try to get down the river. They don't get as far as they want and so they pitch another campsite. And again, the dreams will come of a dark haired, beautiful woman and the sounds will happen and then it'll get more and more and the voice grows louder and louder and louder until they go into the water and the men will go into the water, touch the woman and the woman will drag her, drag them down into the river until they're dead. It's kind of your typical siren story, but it's in the French broad river. That's a good story. Cause you know, you don't usually hear about sirens in a river, especially in America. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of because this area is so old the stories of the Cherokee Nation kind of bleed into the settlements 
So I think when Kaluuya was settled by the white settlers, the stories of the Cherokee Nation just kind of melded with everything. And so the stories got passed down and passed down. And so now we have the siren of the French Broad River. It makes you wonder if there was a large number of people who would lose their lives drowning there, and that's where this developed from? Well, the French Broad River is this big, huge river, and the the current is really fast, and the undercurrent mm. really hard to get out of if you get roped into it. And so that could be where those stories come from. I did find there's actually a record of a man in 1777 that drowned in the area. There's no, really no explanation of why he drowned in the area. Because people will sometimes go in the river fishing and then get swept away by the current accidentally. Mm -hmm. And so that will be on the record. But there was one guy that I found that didn't have a reason of why he drowned. Interesting. It does make you wonder then that guy who all of a sudden woke up and he was kind of in the middle there. Mm -hmm. How in the world he would have gotten across a strong current on the river like that. Right. So doubly makes you go, that was terrifying. <laughs> probably was not sleepwalking. I feel like you would wake up if you hit the water because that water is cold no matter what season. It's always cold. Even if you were sleepwalking, you'd wake up when you hit those like really cold water. That's what I would think. I mean, because that's how you wake people up is throwing cold water on them. And then there's this demon dog of Valley Crucius. Is that how you say it? I think so, yeah. So it's an apparition of a dog in Valley Crucius, which is Latin for Valley of the Cross. And it was actually named because there's two streams that meet at a right angle in the middle of the valley. So it's really pretty there. But there is a demon dog there. <laughs> there's an old stone church along Highway 194, and it's right at the end of the town. And there's this really old cemetery there. The story is, is that there were two men driving down the road past the church around midnight. And it was a clear night. The moon was bright and full. When it's that kind of moon, you can see everything. And as their car turned to pass the old church, they saw something come out from behind the graveyard and into the road. And they swerved trying to avoid it. And they slammed on the brakes and pulled off on the side of the road. And they looked what was in the road, and it was a dog, but it was a big dog and almost as big as a fully grown man with black fur and massive yellow teeth and glowing eyes. But they didn't reflect like a dog eyes would in some light, but they were glowing and red. And they say that it looks like the fires of hell. Wow. And the, ant like the dog would walk at first towards whatever people were looking at it and then once the people start fleeing the dog will chase after them even through like the hairpin turns and everything of that road and usually if they're driving fast enough because of how bad the, that road is they'll either crash or drive off a cliff that is a crazy story all right well let's talk about western carolina university this is a a school that goes back in your family. Your parents both went here as well. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Did you go there for all four years and graduate from there? I did. I started in 2013 and just graduated in May of 2017. Yes, we feel old. <laughs> <laughs> and you were a tour guide out there. Is that correct? I was. Yeah, that was a really fun job. 
So would you just take people around and who were prospective students and try to entice them to come to the school or were you doing a history tour? What kind of tour was it? It was mainly for prospective students or students that were looking at the school, but sometimes we did get some old alumni that would come and go on the tour just to see what was new and what had changed. But it was actually history combined with what happens now. So we have so many old buildings there and so many old areas. Do we actually have an area that's kind of designated as the old campus? And that's just the buildings that have been there since the 1920s and 30s and 40s. It was founded in 1889, and it actually started as a high school, and it was chartered as a high school in 1891, and it was founded by Robert Lee Madison, and we actually have a dorm named after him. They founded it because it was one of the only schools in that area at that time because that region was so isolated at that time. And it actually started as a way to train teachers of that area so they could train them and then kind of send them off and educate that area. And then in 1893, it was the first publicly funded normal school of the state. Through the next 40 years, they expanded and turned into a junior college. And then in 1929, it was chartered as a four-year institution, and that was Western Carolina Teachers College. And it actually became the model for a lot of other regional colleges in the state, and they call it the Cullowy Experiment. And then it kept expanding, and they added a Master of Arts in Education, so they added a lot of liberal arts programs to kind of expand the area's culture and expand the education of that area. In 1953, it was designated as Western Carolina College. Finally, in 1967, it became a part of the University of North Carolina system, and it became Western Carolina University. So how many buildings are on the campus today? On the old part of campus, there is five or six. And then we actually just built three new buildings in the past year. I think. (laughs) And then there's about eight or nine dorms. And then there's one brand new dorm that just opened my last year of college. And then there is seven or eight classroom buildings. And then there's the university center, the gym, the dining hall. We actually just built a new dining hall. And then there's a few little houses where teachers have the opportunity to live, but not a lot of people live there. So it's a really small campus. You can walk from one end to the other in 30 to 40 minutes. And that's just because most of it is uphill. (laughs) You had said that you've heard lots of stories of people having some experiences that they could not explain. Have you had any of those yourself? I have, actually. One of the main uh, ghost story buildings is actually in Scott Dorm, which is one of the freshmen living areas. My freshman year, two of my best friends lived on the third floor of that building. And every now and then we'd have a sleepover and stay up all night and all that kind of stuff. And there was one night that we went to bed around 1231 o'clock, around 3 a.m., the infamous hour. We heard this big crash on one side of the room. And so we wake up, turn on all the lights, kind of look around what happened. 
And what happened was the clock went off the wall. But what was weird about it is that we had a refrigerator and a microwave under where we had the clock on the wall. And so if it had just dropped or the command strip had just fallen off, you would think it would have kind of tumbled down. But it actually went from the wall to about three yards away to the floor face down and didn't tumble. It was just one smack on the ground. Interesting. So that clock never worked again and was always on 3 a.m. <laughs> just the time you want it to be stuck on. The yeah. witching hour. And then a couple of girls down the hall actually had an experience. The girl was in the room by herself and the TV was on. And all of a sudden it just started turning off and on by itself. And then the door slammed really hard, which kind of wasn't out of the ordinary because it's an old drafty building. And like sometimes if you open the stairwell door, the door will slam because of the pressure change. Sure. But that door slammed really hard and actually it locked and that was a deadbolt lock. And then the TV kept going off and on and we started hearing like screams from down the hall. And so the resident assistant opened her door with their like master key and like they opened it. They found her like curled up in bed, like hiding under the covers. Once we opened the door, all the lights went off, like a fuse broke and on her blinds, like how... It's almost like if somebody climbed up on the third floor window, opened the window that didn't open, and wrote death in the dust on her blinds. Whoa! It was written backwards like somebody had climbed up on the third floor and written it in the dust. There was no explanation. Like, there wasn't any fingerprints. Like, somebody moved the blinds or anything like that. And the blinds weren't swinging or anything. Like, somebody just did it. And she was freaked out. So, I don't think that she could have done it. No. Wow. That is one of the weirdest (laughs) things I've heard. And that's actually... The third floor is not actually where all the stories come from. The stories actually come from the ninth floor. And the story is, like, somebody... A girl hung herself... On the ninth floor, I think it was the story we always told is because her boyfriend broke up with her and she failed all of her tests. So she just hung herself. Mm. Because of that, there's an area that looks like it should have a room there because all of the other floors have a room there. But there is just a cinder block wall like somebody put up a cinder block wall in front of a door. That area was actually roped off for a few years because of all the experiences that people would feel because of that. And I can't find any proof of a girl hanging herself yet. And I never really heard of anyone having anything other than like an eerie feeling up there. But that just could be because of all the stories that we would pass around. How interesting, though, that the university would rope it off. So there must have been enough going on that they felt like let's keep people out of this area. It's almost like they're admitting something weird was going on. Right. And I think if you ask, they'll tell you that they were doing remodeling, but it looks exactly like all of the other floors. (laughs) So um, did you say what residence hall this was? Yeah, it was Scott residence hall or Scott dorm. And my mom was actually a resident assistant there in the seventies. She actually experienced one of her residents getting under the influence of a few different things and deciding that she could fly and jumped out of the fifth story and landed on her feet. And she actually lived for a little while, but she died in the hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's screens on the windows now. (laughs) 
Good idea. <laughs> that time of a lot of young people's lives is a very turbulent time anyway. And so you right. could see you add that. And then if there's other things going on, then here we go. Yeah. And Scott is actually right next to a dorm called Walker. And they are actually the two dorms that were supposedly built on top of the burial ground. Mm. So That's why we're having a little bit of trouble here. It would seem so, yeah. So those are the experiences that you've had. Have you heard from other people who've had experiences in Scott Hall? There was a girl that was on the third floor with, with my friends that lived there. And she said that she was a medium and really sensitive to all those kind of things. And that she would actually see a black figure that would come in and out of the bathrooms, only on the girl's side. Mm. So Scott is actually split up by wing. And so one side is the girl's side and one side is the guy's side. And so on the third floor, she always said that there was a black figure that would loom around the third floor bathrooms. And I could never find or hear any story of something that happened on the third floor. And a lot of my friends would actually wake up with random bruises and scratches on them. Like they kind of got in a fight <laughs> in their sleep. Hmm. But they remember getting those bruises or scratches or anything. Now this walker, is that what you said the other hall was called? Yes. That has some hauntings going on in it as well? It has a lot less. As far as I know, it's just lights that flicker and water that turns off and on by itself. I love it when people say it's just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, comparatively to something riding death and dust on blind. That's true. It is a little tamer. <laughs> and like water would turn off and on by itself. But it's a really old building. I think that was built in the 40s or 50s, I want to say. And it's just a really old building. So I never really think anything of lights flickering to be honest mm -hmm. i mean it could just be faulty wiring or like something's just going bad but like when it's so much that it's just off and on off and on off and on and water kind of turns on by itself it's a little spooky and doors slam all the time it seems like every university we've talked about has had this thing about water running on its own yeah. and i always ask why is that why do they always turn the water on yeah, I don't really know. I know, actually, in Scott, I just remembered this, there was a shower on the third floor that would always be on. And I was just about to say, and it's usually a shower. There you go. Yeah. And it would always be on and nobody would be in there. There was one point during a sleepover that I went to the bathroom around two, three o'clock in the morning and there was a shower on and nobody else was in that, in that bathroom. And... Like I would, I was just doing my business. And then all of a sudden I heard the door open, like somebody was coming in, but I didn't see any shoes or anything under the stall. So that was a little spooky. <laughs> that's when you uh, get your business done quick. <laughs> yeah, that that's exactly what happened. And then flee. Well, and I liked that you had said when the door had slammed, obviously this could be air pressure, but air pressure doesn't turn the deadbolt. Right. Yeah. Now, there's some stories, I think, that go with Harrell Hall as well. Have you heard any of those? Yeah, Harrell Hall is actually an older building that got remodeled in, I want to say, the late 2000s. And it's now one of our greener, greenest buildings on campus. So it's one of the most energy efficient. But the story is, is that a girl had an asthma attack in the middle of the night while she was sleeping over with her boyfriend. And she passed away. And so she haunts the elevator. 
And so the elevator will either, you'll hit a button and it'll go to the floor above it instead of the one that you hit, or it'll just go up and down while you're on it and not open any of the doors. But sometimes the doors will just open on their own in the middle of the night when nobody else is awake on just random floors. And I think it's on the fifth floor that they say that she died on. Mm. I can't think of a worse way to die because to me, having an asthma attack is like drowning. Oh, it's terrible. And I have asthma, so I'm like, yeah, that would be the worst way. Yeah, it's on the fifth and first floor that they say the doors just open randomly on. Okay. And if you're on the fifth floor, they say that you feel like you're being watched and you feel like you're being followed. But that's really the only stories that I've heard of there. People have actually heard knocking on the walls, and that building's made of really hard material, like cinder blocks and everything. So you'd have to knock really hard, but it sounds like little soft knocking on the walls. Wow. Our most infamous story is of the Moore building. And that building actually started as a woman's dorm that was created in 1925. So that building opened when Western was still considered a normal school. There's all kinds of stories. It's gone from a dorm to a classroom building to kind of a mix of the two. And now I think it's office spaces and storage for the most part. But there's three main stories with the Moore building. And the most prominent story that we would always hear is that two girls were staying over an extended break. So like over fall break or winter break, they would stay over. And one went to take a shower. The other girl noticed that she was gone for a really long time. And so she went to go look for her. And she started hearing scratches through the bathroom door, but it wouldn't open. And so she called a building worker to open the door and she finds her roommate dead from her throat being slit Mm. and, and all of her blood was just pulled around her. Oh, geez. Yeah. And then a story that we would always hear is that a woman in the dorm was raped and murdered by a man. And supposedly that man was sent to Broughton insane asylum which is now Broughton Hospital in Morganton, North Carolina. So that's still an open functioning hospital for the mentally ill. And the story is, is that she was raped and murdered by this man and this man was arrested. But I can't find any record anywhere of this happening. And I feel like it would have been mm-hmm. a big story because supposedly he just died a few years ago. So I can't find any record of it. And that would be big news on the campus. It's one thing to have somebody die because she has an asthma attack. It's another for somebody to be raped and murdered. Right. And then our last story that I would always hear is that a woman hung herself in the building after finding out that her husband died in, I think it was World War II or World War I. Um, And there's actually a record of students there that were married that died in that war. There's actually a record of 26 men that lost their lives during World War I, I think it is. No, it's actually World War II because it was in 1942. And the story is, is that the woman found out that her husband died in the war and she hung herself on one of the floors. And I think it was actually, yeah, all of these stories happened on the third floor of the Moore building. And so the third floor is said, you feel like somebody's watching you. You'll see someone peering around a corner. 
like trying to figure out who you are, what you're doing there. But when you go to that corner, there's nobody there and you, you don't hear any doors open and shut or anything like that. I think there's stories of people like that go there and they feel like they're being touched or they feel like they're someone's like just brushing their arm or somebody's like grabbing their hand. So it doesn't seem like a mean spirit, I guess. It's more of just a curious one. And one of my friends actually has a story of she was driving past where the parents and they kind of paused to look at them at the building, like look up at the building. And she saw lights turn off and on really quickly in one of the windows on the third floor. And so all of her family kind of look up and see that the window is open. And then all of a sudden it just slammed shut and the blinds went down. Hmm. But they didn't see a person there. But yeah. not many people go into the Moore building because it is just office spaces, I'm pretty sure, for the nursing department. Not many people go in there because it's not a dorm anymore. They took, I think they actually ended people living there because of all the stories of people not wanting to be on the third floor. Because I think the third floor got turned into office spaces first. And then eventually they just took all the dorms out of there a building that was actually the old student building that actually houses our radio station in the area. We actually only have about two radio stations in that area, and one is local to Cullowhee, and then the other is an AM station that's in Asheville. And people that work at that radio station in that old student union that would be there late at night, and they would hear footsteps. No one else would be in the building because that's only the radio station now. They'll get spooked and lock the door because they can't leave because it's their job. Mm -hmm. But it's always uh, just footsteps. Wow. Um, there's a couple of dorms called Reynolds and Robertson, and it's up towards the top of campus on a big hill. And actually where one of them stands used to be a chapel. And there was actually a graveyard there, but they moved the graveyard. And now in that building, it's just kind of spooky, but I've never really heard of any kind of spooky happenings. It's just an old building that feels weird. So it's interesting that they moved that graveyard and then there's no stories of any kind of haunting there. Especially it's our experience that you start messing with those things and mm -hmm. spirits don't like that. Oh, yeah. And then in one of the classroom buildings is actually a lab that they study decomposition. In one of the classroom buildings is actually kind of like a morgue in the bottom of it. And they study, it's for the anthropology major. And so they go and study remains of that for like their classes and how bodies decompose and everything like that. And that's in the bottom of the McKee building. And that's actually now more of the history and political science building and the anthropology is also in there. But there's stories that you'd hear footsteps and there's bones in some of, in some of the classrooms. And I've never really heard anything other than hearing footsteps every now and then when you're alone in the building. Doors slam every now and then and lights will flicker. But I've never really heard anything else other than that for that building. Now, obviously, they give tours because you hosted those. Do they give yeah. tours talking about the ghost stories, maybe around Halloween and things like that? I know that there's some people that do give some Halloween walking tours, but they're not really sponsored by the university. Okay. 
I know the university doesn't have any of the ghost stories on their website. So this isn't something they embrace? Not really. Gotcha. The student-run newspaper does embrace it. There's all kinds of stories, especially around Halloween, of all the stories and all the legends that they pass around campus. But other than that, I don't think the university really embraces anything. We're kind of told not to tell any kind of ghost stories. Sometimes, every now and then, someone will ask if a building's haunted, and we just have to kind of laugh and be like, that's for you to decide. And <laughs> Good line. <laughs> I guess, you know, you're trying to get prospective students to come to the university, so telling them, oh, yeah, where you might be sleeping has all these stories and happenings might, might deter them a bit. Right. But the McKee building was on a site that was excavated. And there is the stories of people hearing footsteps and everything in the McKee building, but there's nothing really that seems dangerous that when I was there, I experienced. Well, you experienced some things. I guess it's nice (laughs) to not experience everything. There is a couple of stories of the area. There's the Phantom Choir of Roan Mountain. A Phantom Choir? Right. There's a mountain just over the border in Tennessee that if you go to the top of it, supposedly you'll hear a choir of people singing throughout the wind. And supposedly the wind has like worn away holes in the rocks on top of the mountain. And so you'll hear what sounds like people singing, but it could just be the wind blowing over the rock and making a sound. But it was considered the Phantom Choir for a really long time until they kind of figured out that it's probably just whistling of the wind. Otherwise, you're going to have to have a really interesting story to go with it. Like, why were people (laughs) climbing up there and all singing together? Did they all of a sudden walk too far and go off a cliff? (laughs) (laughs) The, The, like, legend of it is that it was a place where angels gathered to practice singing for Judgment Day. So they say that the choir on Roan Mountain sounds like the sounds of heaven. Mm, well, I guess it's better than the sounds of hell. I mean, there is also stories of of people saying that it sounds like wailing. So I guess it's like to each its own. Yeah, whatever your <laughs> thoughts are about heaven, it could be. I'm hoping it's not the wailing one. <laughs> and then the last one that I had is called the Moon-Eyed People. The Moon-Eyed People were kind of discovered by the Cherokee people. And they were supposedly very, very different from the Cherokee people. And they had big, long beards and were very pale. And they had big eyes, so they couldn't see in the daylight. So they only came out at night. And so they lived in caverns because they couldn't be out in the daylight because their eyes were so big. And so they're moon-eyed people because they only came out when the moon was up and their eyes were so big that they looked like the moon. According to the legend, there's a rock structure in Fort Mountain, which is a state park kind of at the North Carolina border into Georgia. And it, it gets that name because it has a 850 foot long stone wall that kind of goes up and down in height. And it's thought that it got constructed from 400 to 500 CE. So very early in time. And according to the legend of the Cherokee people, that wall is the remnant of the war that the Moon-Eyed people had with the neighboring Creek Nation that's in Georgia. And so during a full moon, the Moon-Eyed people would come out and their pale skin would be even lighter. 
and it'd be blinding to people if they see it. Oh, wow. That's a, a different kind of legend. It reminds yeah. me like when they have like the other weird, what were those ones that were like cabbage? Melon heads? Melon heads, yes, mm-hmm. to where it's, somebody, it's almost like a distortion in the actual person or being. Mm-hmm. Historians now think it was the moon-eyed people were actually probably the Welsh people yeah. that came into that area. But it doesn't really explain the nocturnalness of them. <laughs> well, that is wonderful, Sarah. You had all kinds of stories, <laughs> not only about the university, but the area as well. That is very mm-hmm. cool. It's amazing how much lore there is there in North Carolina, just from our experiences as we were driving through and stopping in different cities and doing the ghost tours and then talking to so many of you that are from North Carolina. That place has got a lot of hauntings going on. Especially on that side of North Carolina, because I mean, there's some over on the Outer Banks, but between Boone all the way down now to where mm-hmm. where she lives, there's just a ton of legends and stories. And Makes you wonder if it has something to do with those mountains. It might be, yeah. Well, and obviously a lot of the Native Americans like to live in that area, so that's part of it too. Right. Well, Sarah, we want to thank you for joining us. This has been a fascinating discussion with you. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, you have a great evening. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. These legends are all very interesting and similar to ones told around the country. The hauntings at the university have been experienced by enough people. It does seem that there are some unexplained things happening here. Is Western Carolina University haunted? That is for you to decide. As we say, every time we talk about a university, it really is amazing how many of them have hauntings and not just one, but multiple hauntings going on on campus. I know it is kind of odd, but it seems like they kind of go hand in hand. And it was really fun because Sarah knows a lot of the legends in that general area. And so to have her share those with us, that was really neat, too. It's interesting for the college students of North Carolina, because this is the second time we've talked about a university with somebody who went there in North Carolina and had so many oddities happening around not just the university, but everything. So fun times. We'd love to have you guys check out our website, historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we did receive an email from Maggie. I am listening to the episodes newest to oldest, and I recently listened to the episode on the Biltmore Estate. I was shocked to hear that the pool area was a very active location. I actually had an experience there when I was a little girl in that very room. When I was eight years old, my parents took my brother and me to visit the Biltmore. I remember it being amazing. I couldn't imagine how it must have been to live in a luxurious mansion such as that. Room by room, I envisioned myself as a princess and this was my castle. All was going well until I entered the pool room. I immediately felt as though I could not breathe. Dizziness began to take over my body, along with feeling hot, but having chills at the exact same time, almost as if I had a fever. My mom noticed that I was looking ill and took me into the next room, away from the crowd. I was finally able to catch my breath and return to my normal coloring instead of the pale ghost I had temporarily become. We attended the Biltmore again this past year, 18 years since the incident. I told my husband and brother to pay extra attention to their feelings and surroundings while walking through the pool room as I remember my previous experience so vividly. As I walked through the pool room, I was preparing myself for the worst. Once again, I felt like I was being smothered, as if someone was hugging me far too tight and wouldn't let go. I began to feel dizzy and quickly passed the others to get out of that area. 
although my husband and brother were fine and experienced nothing out of the ordinary. It was interesting that you mentioned there had been rumors of a child drowning in the pool, as that is exactly how I felt both times I entered this room, like I was running out of oxygen and ready to fall into a world of black. I'm glad I heard about the activity in this room after both of my encounters. If I had known before, I would have been even more freaked out. Synchronicity. It happens with this podcast all the time. And we had it happen again with that email from Maggie. I was over at YouTube loading up our most recent video that we've made for Patreon, which is a trailer to give everybody a little teaser about what you're missing if you're not an executive producer with us. And I saw that we had some notifications. So I was looking over some of the comments. And wouldn't you know that a woman named Kia Moore wrote on YouTube under the Biltmore episode, she felt the same eerie feeling in the pool room. I went years ago before I even knew other people felt this too. Super creepy. Wow. And that's like within one week of each other making a comment about that episode. Absolutely. And this was episode 89, which we did like two years ago. And what are the chances that we're going to have two different people listen to that same episode in the same week who had the same experiences that we described, particularly Stephen having there, and they both experienced them too. So this tells me there's definitely something going on in that pool room. And synchronicity is alive and well here at History Ghost Bump. Yes, it is. Now, as I just mentioned, we redid the video that we have up on our Patreon page. And it's a trailer type video that we put out because we made some changes over at Patreon. Our levels were really boring. Totally boring. For three years, we basically didn't even have any titles for them. And then I thought, well, maybe I should title them with something. So I got really creative and I went with EP1 for the $1 level, EP2 for the $2 level, EP5, and so on and so forth. So after we got done at PodFest and I heard some other people's ideas about their Patreon, I said, you know, we need to have levels, Denise, that are a lot more exciting than this. And I absolutely agreed. So Diane, with her artistic ability, decided to do something. But it was because you inspired it. You came up with the different levels. Well, we're a good team. What can we say? So what did you suggest? So I suggested, since many of us are taphophiles and we like to go to cemeteries, that maybe each level would be your burial plot. So executive producers, we needed our own cemetery. So we have our own cemetery now, and it's called Exitorius Ordinator Necropolis. Which means? Which is basically executive producer graveyard in Latin. But it sounds really cool, doesn't it? Sounds much better in Latin. Entrance is by membership only. So if you are already an executive producer, you are in. And depending upon what level you're giving at is what your burial plot is. You can upgrade at any time or downgrade. We do have a grave digger who can dig you up and move you somewhere else. You can be re-interned at your request. So level number one for the $1 level is the niche wall. The $2 level is the marble headstone. $5 is the chest tomb. $10 is the garden crypt. And finally, our $25 level is the big bang mausoleum. Everything that you get at those levels is still the same. So when you listen to the end of the show now, we will start having dispatches from the gravedigger, letting us know who has entered, who is being buried in the graveyard this week or is upgraded. So we thought that would be fun. If you haven't seen the video that we've done for Patreon, I encourage you to check it out. We have some samples there so that you can get a feel for the different videos that we've made and the different bonus episodes and what kinds of logo gear we send out, all that good stuff. 
Also wanted to mention, we have a ton of listeners who've been to the Carton Plantation, Denise. We had a bunch of pictures posted up in the Spooktacular crew. We want to thank all of you for putting those up in there. Yes, thank you so much. And Brent shared a picture of three of his ancestors, the Lynch brothers, two of whom fought at the Battle of Franklin and survived. I thought that was super cool. And if you look really closely and then look at Brent, you can see a bit of a resemblance. So thank you guys for sharing all those things. We do have some reviews from Apple Podcasts to share. First up, we have Lindsay1989, best podcast ever, five stars. Diane and Denise make a great team. The show is very well researched. History with a paranormal twist. Love it. Keep up the great work, ladies. I recommend this podcast to everyone. Well, thank you, Lindsay. Qualette, I love Auntie Diane and Auntie Denise. Five stars. This show has great history on locations and weird historical facts. These ladies really make you feel as if you're listening to your favorite aunts doing a podcast. And if you listen carefully, you can hear the collar on their dog jingle. Thanks, ladies. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. We appreciate that. And finally, Han Honey, enjoy the spooky side of history, five stars. If you love the creepy, the odd, or the historical, then you will get hooked on this show. All three are combined in this well-researched podcast and delivered in the most charming way. You'll learn a lot, get the heebie-jeebies, and make new friends. Thank you to Denise and Diane for taking on the endeavor. Well, you are very welcome, and thank you for the reviews. We want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We have Katie Stiancho, and she has a garden crypt plot. Maggie Frances Kelly has a chest tomb. Yale Gammon has a niche wall burial plot. Kellyanne Wallace has a chest tomb. That also happens to be our neighbor. Becky Anderson has a chest tomb. Cindy Fellows has upgraded. She still has a garden crypt, but we're going to be adding a wing onto that. Very cool. So I don't know what she wants to put in that wing, a TV, whatever. And Preston Headley has upgraded to a garden crypt. I'll dig him up now. Thank you to all of you. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.